Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. My name is Greg. My name's Alicia. Welcome to Blood, Fear, and Beer. Welcome indeed. Is this the evening news? Yes. How exciting. Edition. Do you have any exciting news for us? Yes, vengeance is rampant. Is it? Yes. Fuck. Also, turns out, not a horror movie. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. Once again, Greg picked not a horror movie. Well, to be fair, you just straight up didn't tell me. You said it so confidently, I thought you knew what you were about, and I was like, you know what? I'm fine with that. I'm cool with it. We go to sit down and watch the movie, and Alicia's like, how come you never pick horror movies? I'm like, why didn't you fucking tell me? I had no idea. It sounded like a horror movie trilogy. (laughs) Anyways, here we are now. It was a great movie. I had a good time. It was a really good movie. And you know what? In your defense, in Greg's defense, I think this movie and just the subject matter that this movie covers is perfect for the podcast. I think it fits in really well, and I don't really know, even though it's not technically a horror movie, I think the whole concept of revenge fits in really nicely with the horror genre and just discussions about, like, the value of horror. Sure. I think it fits in great. I mean, it it (laughs) has to. It has to, it's going to, and it will. I was thinking about it in the sense of horror being such a good vehicle for exploring, like, primal fears and primal emotions and i think revenge really fits into that category it's such a a primal animalistic feeling and concept revenge is such an interesting concept and going back to the horror genre like i said horror is a really good vehicle for exploring these different primal fears and feelings and it's also a really good area to explore moral ambiguity Mm. And I feel like revenge is such a morally ambiguous topic and concept, and it's very complicated. Indeed it is. Indeed it It is. It is. But who doesn't love a good revenge story? Seriously. I really enjoy, we've talked about this many times, about watching foreign films and just kind of getting a different kind of insight to a different type of culture and everything. Mm -hmm. But the more I thought about it, because revenge is such an American, like, obviously there's other cultures that, you know, experience. I mean, it's human. It's a human thing, you know? Yeah. I think Americans are bananas for revenge stories. Yes. You know, taking three, you know, <laughs> <laughs> being a subject A in that matter. But we just love the story of revenge. But this took the whole concept of it and it was so different in the fact that usually American revenge is just like satisfaction kind of revenge. Like, I'm going to go in there and going to get my due justice, you know? Yes. Whereas this was just straight up from every every I mean it was a multifaceted revenge triangle that was going on but every aspect of it was just straight up sad yes with zero satisfaction it was and I it sounds weird to say it but I love that I lo- I do love a good revenge story there's a, a certain catharsis that comes with a good revenge story but I think going back to what you said about revenge being such an American thing, at least the way that we portray it, I think that ties pretty strongly into how America as a society feels about capital punishment. Oh, big time. And for me, not to get too much into personal opinions, but I am against capital punishment. Big old lefty over here. I'm a big old lefty. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do not support the death penalty. And I think that these stories about revenge that really show the true cost of vengeance and what you lose in seeking revenge. I just really appreciate that. 
like exploring the the moral gray areas of revenge and all the terrible feelings that come with it. I also forgot to mention that I have beer. You have beer? I have beer. There's a beer sitting in front of me and I haven't touched it. Well, tell us all about your beer. I have, thanks to my awesome brother, a super fresh beer from a local brewery called Gamecraft. It's awesome. I miss that place. Me too. It's so cool. It's just a local brewery that you can sit down, drink a beer, and play some board games. They have a shit ton of board games. You can bring your own. And video games. And video games. Yeah, I think they have a Nintendo setup or something. They have a huge Nintendo setup. Like a Nintendo room. Like a a small mini theater screen. It's awesome. But my brother came over last weekend with my dad, and he brought some Gamecraft beer for us. So this is a Piranha Plant Italian-style Pilsner. Italiano. Italiano. Um, I'm not a huge Pilsner fan. I find them to be just a little bit bland. I think that you might be underselling your dislike for Pilsner on the <laughs> podcast, because last night you were telling me how fucking boring they were. They are, but <laughs> <laughs> this is a very hoppy Pilsner. So it's like two things that I usually don't like, but this one is surprisingly nice. It's pretty good, and it's really good with spicy food. I made barbacoa beef tacos last weekend and it went really nicely with those what is barbacoa that's a good question <laughs> it's that beef that i make with a bunch of shit on no, it no i know like, that that like what is barbacoa i'm not sure what makes it barbacoa let's find out real quick i actually really want to know okay so barbacoa is just it's a, a term used in mexican cooking specifically and it's beef lamb or other meat that has been slowly cooked with seasonings well it's pretty all-encompassing yeah so it's just really good seasoned meat and I made it, and Red it was meat. bomb. Red meat. Yeah. The good shit. So I am going to taste it. That's a Pilsner. Yeah. Sure is. It'll do just fine. Any notes? Got anything to tell us Nothing. about it? It tastes like beer. That's the thing about Pilsners, is I, I can never get any flavors. Like, there's no flavor. It just tastes like beer and hops. I think Pilsners are a good summer day beer. They are, and they're like I said, they're good with really flavorful food because you don't want to mask what you're eating, but you still want something crisp and refreshing. So it's really good for that, especially. Is it like, though? I mean, because if yeah. you're gonna do that, why not? I'd rather just drink have like a, a good, tasty beer, like yeah, the, uh, like a good Mexican beer, yeah, like the salt and lime lager. Exactly, that shit's good with Mexican food. Right, it's so good. See, you're I'm not hungry. masking it. That's accent. I'm hungry. It has no flavor, but it's refreshing. <laughs> also, before I forget, I feel like I have to. Just make a disclaimer about our last episode. I noticed it when I was editing with uh, my voice. (laughs) I am still having issues with long COVID and lingering problems. And there are some days that are worse than others where I feel like I don't have oxygen in my lungs. So that whole episode, I sound like I'm just whisper talking and like out of breath and it sounds terrible. So if anyone's wondering what was going on with my voice, that's what it was. (laughs) So I'm much better today. That's good. Much better day, as you can hear. Except for when I said horror. Horror. <laughs> horror. Just no double O words. <laughs> Nothing that takes a big push of breath. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, now that I have my beer, back to the topic of revenge. I have just a little list that I put together of some of my favorite revenge stories. I thought we could spitball back and forth about some of our favorite revenge tales. Okay. I'm going to let you go first because I know what your number one is, and I'm just going to let you talk about it. Last of Us. Yeah, part two, particularly. The Last of Us part two. That's some good fucking revenge right there. That whole experience emotionally annihilated me. I haven't been able to play it a second time. I've only played through it once, and we played through it together. I think you've done it like four times now. Yeah, three. I can't. I can't do it. That was the most raw and visceral and real depiction of like the cost of bloodlust and vengeance that I've ever seen. Seriously, that was raw dog in it. Oh my god, yeah. And it's so much more immersive because you're interacting with it, you're playing through it, and it's like you're doing these things through these characters. Mm-hmm. It just yeah, it fucking wrecked shit. me. It's so good. I didn't even think about using games. What a great idea. There are some really great stories in games. There are, yeah. Yeah. Just don't try to make a movie out of them. Unless you're no. uh, Guillermo del Toro, in which case... Please make Bioshock. Please make Bioshock. Please, I want it so bad. Ideally, I would love a limited series, yes, but I, I would take a movie. I would be happy with you the movie. I'm sure he could pull it off. I'm sure he could pull it off. I have no doubt that he could pull off Bioshock. Yeah. 
even if he did like the prequel story to Bioshock, the rise and fall of Rapture, I would be so into that. Fuck yeah. That'd be great. But yeah, with The Last of Us 2, I think kind of like with this movie, which is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I don't know if we said that yet. (laughs) It really makes you empathize with both sides of the story. Hardcore. Really hard. In ways that make you deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm thinking more so in the game now because I'm all stuck on that. But, I, yeah. That's that's but, what I'm talking about specifically. Yeah. <laughs> but the movie does too. It makes does, you sympath- yeah. It makes you empathize with all sides. That's why I think the title of the movie is so good. Mm. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. So I have a couple other things listed here. These are revenge stories that I found very compelling. Of course, I have Mandy at the top of my list. Gotta have Mandy. Obsessed. That one is... That's a little more classic. Yeah, more classic American revenge where it's very satisfying and cathartic. And you're rooting for Red the whole time. With every kill, you just feel really good about it. But there is still that sad emptiness at the end. Not because of what he's done, but because of what he's lost. And now he's alone and he can't get it back. Like, there's that sad emptiness. But it's still so satisfying to watch. I love it. It's so yes, good. you do. I love it so much. The next one I have is something that you and I watched recently for the first time. And I was really pleasantly surprised by how great this movie was. I'd been wanting to see it for a long time, and I expected it to be good. I did not expect it to be as good as it was, and that's Promising Young Woman. That was a banger. Yes. It was so good. That was far better than I was expecting. I expected it to be a lot more fun than it was. Like, the classic revenge story, that's what I expect from these movies, and it's not that. It's really sad. (laughs) It's sad and shocking, but also funny and fun. It's mm-hmm. just a really well-made movie, and it handles the whole... I think it takes the rape-revenge trope and just completely turns it upside down and does something new with it. It handles a very sensitive topic very delicately and with emotional maturity. Well put. Yeah. I loved it. I think it's on HBO Max <clears throat> still. If anyone hasn't seen it wants to check it out, it's a great movie. Agreed. Another one we watched recently, which for some reason it took us years to watch it, was Unforgiven. Yeah. Holy shit. We do that all the time. I know. We'll everyone listening is like, like 10 to 15 years hey, later. Hey, you know what's a really good movie? That movie that everyone's been saying is really good for like 40 years. Right. It's really good. Yeah. Right? No need to talk about it. Everyone knows it's a good fucking movie. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> it's just, uh, there's shit like that where it's just like for the longest time, for whatever reason, I just don't want to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we did I did the same thing with Black Christmas. I just decided that I hate that movie and I watched it and I was like, this is a great fucking movie. It's awesome. Everyone's like, yeah, we know. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, it's great. It's Still a classic. Still haven't seen it myself. We'll watch it this year. It's awesome. I think you'll enjoy it. I know that you also really enjoyed Man on Fire, right? I loved that movie. Also because it's basically the entire fragile album from Nine Inch Nails. That is the only thing that I think I loved about that movie. I don't think I'm a fan. I I'm get, not necessarily saying it's a really good bored. movie. I get really bored. I get really, really bored. It's so it's three hours long. I know. Well, like I said, it's like the whole. It's almost the entire Fragile album. The Fragile album is not three hours long, but this movie is. Well, you have to have some <laughs> points of no music. <laughs> I also just really enjoyed it. You know, in my high school days and whatnot. It definitely took a turn that I did not expect. It gets really dark. It's very dark. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciated it for that. Those were the most memorable sequences, but the soundtrack is my favorite thing about it for sure. Yeah. I know you also really liked John Wick, and I really want to try that one again. I'm not, again, that is objectively not a good movie. It's just fun. Yeah. Well, that's like the fun revenge story, right? I heard they get better as they go. They get more fun, and the kills are more creative, and... Plus, yeah. I just, you know what? I We've talked about it before. I got a soft spot for Keanu. I, I do, too. This is just him I being him. able to, like, not even really have to try to act, fortunately. You know? Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I know kung fu, and I'm going to use it. Like, yeah. that's it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. This is another one that really explores the moral ambiguity of revenge, and that's the movie Prisoners. Ooh, Yeah. That was rough. That's a rough experience. Very good movie. Who's that director again? He does good shit. I can never pronounce his name because it's super French. I think it's Denis Villeneuve or something. He's the same guy who did like... um, Blade Runner 2049. Arrival. Arrival. um, Dune. Dune. And then he did Prisoners, which is one of the earlier ones of his that we Mm. saw, I think. And 
that also took a very dark turn that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And it's a very ugly look into the dark side of vengeance. And it just felt like a very real situation. It did. Yeah. I, I like those movies that, um, you know, you brought it up earlier about not getting on our, our soapboxes or anything about a capital punishment. And I like movies that can, I, obviously the idea is very much about capital punishment or at least just severe punishment for severe acts, you know, and yeah. being able to take those and really pose the question that is at the heart of those things is like, what if you're wrong yeah. about that person? Exactly. Or what, you know, what if it didn't go down the way that you thought it did? Whatever it may be. Which does happen. Yeah. Like um, the uh, book from Neil Gaiman, American Gods, there's a character in there and she goes on this little tirade, which is actually one of my, I love it. She's like kind of explaining herself. She's mm-hmm. like a young woman. What would you say? Like early 20s or is late? Is this Laura? His wife? Who is it? No, 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 no. It's the... Oh, Samantha. I think, yeah, it's like the, the girl he meets, like that he picks up. Yeah. yeah, Samantha. How old would you say she is? Like early twenties. Like yeah, she's she in can college. Go, she can go she's to a bar. So I think she's yeah. like early twenties, and she goes on this like tirade about like who she is as a person. And one of the things that she says that she's going on this laundry list was just a, a great little speech that she has of like kind of explaining like you don't know who the fuck I am, but very eloquently. She says something along the line that she absolutely is 100% for capital punishment if we knew for certain that the person was guilty, but humans are ultimately flawed, and so there's no way of knowing that, and therefore capital punishment is bullshit. Yeah. It's something along those lines. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of on the same token. Like, I'm, it's one of those want-to-wants type of thing. Like, I want to not feel that kind of visceral disgust. Mm-hmm. With people that commit horrible, horrible crimes. And to be the quote-unquote bigger person. Like, I'm not that person. Like, if somebody were to do something to a family member of mine. Like, if somebody, I don't know, killed my niece or nephew. I can't say that. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I'm i not that person. That I could just not feel vengeance. Or, you know, feel loaded with vengeance. On that same token, I 100% agree that there's no way of knowing for certain in every single situation that the guilty party or the convicted party is actually guilty. And as such, logically, you can't do it. Like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. But it's hard to reconcile those two things. It is hard. This is why, one of the many reasons why I love horror so much, because it's a space to explore those feelings. And to kind of process them in a way. And that's why there is, I think that's why there's so much catharsis in American revenge stories. Because it kind of helps us avoid truly reckoning with the gravity of that, of doing that. Totally. I think it's self-serving in a way. Like, it's, it makes us feel good about the capital punishment that we're serving out. Because, yeah. like, this is what we're doing. And you that's why I, mean? I love revenge stories like this. That really show the true cost and the true gravity and how it dehumanizes everybody involved i love it it's good shit (laughs) i have just a couple more on my list because there are so many revenge stories it's just it's a tale as old as time i also have i don't think you've seen hard candy have you nope you gotta see that movie it's a one-timer i will only watch it with somebody who hasn't seen it yet but that is a very interesting exploration into the only group of people that I feel like I would support the death penalty for, which is pedophiles. And it's a, it forces you to reckon with that and to empathize with one of these people. And it is a fucked up, really dark, good movie. All right. Yeah. One-timer, huh? Okay. It's a one-timer. It's really messed up. <laughs> I actually just thought of one. Don't know if it still holds up. I think it will. I think it would. In, in context, you know? Uh-huh. But there's a movie that was... I think one of the earlier-ish Kevin Spacey movies. The Life of David Gale? No. That movie was pretentious as fuck. It was. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was a piece of shit. Well, that one was about the death penalty. I know. Yeah, that was a pretentious piece of shit. I don't think it would hold up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Laura Linney's in it. (laughs) No, Swimming with Sharks. I've never seen that. And I think it's got the guy... It's got Ferris Bueller. Matthew Broderick? Yeah, I think he's the... 
one of the main characters, if I'm not mistaken, I could okay. be wrong, or someone that looks a lot like him, but I'm almost positive it's him. Okay. And it's, like, about this young man who is working for, like, a Hollywood producer, and it's basically just being, like, a gopher type of situation, and the Hollywood producer dude is Kevin Spacey, and he's just playing his iconic self. You know, but again, I think it was one of those earlier roles where he's just playing a complete fucking hard ass uh-huh. that's just, like, demeaning and belittling and... And this guy's just, like, doing everything he possibly can to just, like, bend over and suck this guy's dick to just mm-hmm. make him happy. And it's about this guy, just the, the young man, basically just, like, snapping and then trying to get revenge. But it gets, it goes from, like, kind of a comedic type of drama to just really dark. <laughs> I feel like that's what this movie did. Yeah. Like, it starts off funny and kind of silly, and then it just takes a real dark turn. Yeah. Really fast. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Swimming with Sharks before. It's a good time. Should I watch it? Maybe. If you're in the mood for like an 80s, 90s movie. and Always. Yeah. <laughs> the last one that I have, I just have to give a shout out to True Grit. Word. Great revenge story. Very sad. Basically all westerns. All westerns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh my god. I have to give a shout out real quick. Speaking of westerns, everybody go watch Old Henry. That was fucking great. Oh my and, god. And. So good. What was the other one? Um, Something Dog. Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog. Fuck. That was a really good movie. That one just, like, sits and festers and just kind of slowly boils, you mm-hmm. know, like, afterwards. Like, you watch it and you're like, oh, that was kind of mild. That's what I like to And then it just, like, big time creeps, it, but, like, creeper. after the fact. Yeah. And then you wake up three days later and you're like, fuck. I thought about good. that movie for days. <laughs> yeah. After it ended, we're like, oh, that was good. And then a few days later... I think we just like locked eyes in the bathroom. We're like, that movie was fucking good. I think we both said after the after we watched it, we're like, yeah, that was all right. I don't think I'd watch it again. And then yeah, like three days we're later, like, we're I like, think we need to watch I think it we again. Need to watch that. <laughs> it's very good. Power of the Dog. That one's on Netflix. I think Old Henry's on Showtime. I think you're right. Well, should we talk a little bit about sympathy for Mr. Vengeance? Why not? So this was uh, my pick. Again, not a horror movie. Great pick, though. I have no regrets. I don't either. I really enjoyed it. We're <laughs> I also... usually don't regret much. No. So, if you got a problem yeah. with it, <laughs> just like the old joke says, can't do <laughs> No. <laughs> what? Be nice. <laughs> I don't think anybody has a problem with it. I'm going to stop Greg right there. All right. Be nice. <laughs> so, this was from uh, director Park Chan-wook. Yes. Huge fan. He's really becoming one of my favorite modern directors i have to say he has this way about i don't know if it's his filming style i can't pinpoint it but i start watching his movies and within you know minutes if not seconds i'm blocked yeah like i'm just in he just grabs me i don't know what it is like it just like it'll just be normal mundane stuff for quite a long time sometimes it's for some like this one was one of his earlier ones and i don't think he had quite in Quiten. He hasn't quite gotten into his more aesthetically fascinating and involved scenes. They were a little bit more regular. Yeah, I think because of budget restrictions, yeah. but his characters more than made up for that. Totally, but I was going to say, even with that, even with the, the budget constraints and whatever, maybe not fully coming, he still has this way of shooting a scene that just locks you in. Yeah. Right and you're away, just interested, and he keeps my attention because I know with some of the movies that we've watched, I think um, one of the other Korean movies that we covered was The Host. I really liked that movie, but something about the pacing, mm-hmm. like in the middle, there was a little bit of a lull, and it took a while for it to grab me again. But every Park Chan Wook movie that I've watched so far, I was in it from beginning to end. I never got bored. I completely agree, even in scenes that are seemingly slow. Yeah. Like this movie, Mr. Vengeance. It's slow. It's slow. And it had very particularly, particularly <laughs> slow scenes where after the fact, I don't know if they were necessary. I don't, you know, I'm not going to argue about it. But even so, it was like a slow fucking scene. I'm like, I still liked it. Still enjoyed it. The same. Yeah. And you I, know how I am. Like if a movie is over an hour and a half long, I'm like immediately getting mad. You know, where I this noticed was, that you did not get mad, no, and you didn't good. get bored, and I didn't see you like getting restless or checking the time or anything, which is rare. Very, that's very yeah. rare. So, way to go, Mister Channel. 
Yeah, I, I'm a really big fan. I'm super excited for this weekend because we kind of made a plan to watch the whole Revenge trilogy. And these movies are incredibly difficult to find. But I tracked down Old Boy and we're watching it tonight and I'm really excited. <laughs> Man, so we've only seen the remake, uh-huh. the American remake and of it was- that. And that is super disturbing. Di- <laughs> seen it once, and I'm still disturbed to this fucking day. Me too. And this is going to be so much worse. Yeah, I'm just. I'm this not. is the movie that he's known for, oh, yeah. old boy. And then we, I'm excited to get back to Lady Vengeance because I love that movie, and I'm really excited for you to see yeah, it. Yeah, you show but me a preview of that. That looked fun. It's really fun, and it's also really sad. I think that he toes that line really well. I think all the Korean movies that we've watched toe the line between black humor and tragedy really well. I agree. Let me just do a quick slap down synopsis, and then yeah. we can yeah, go for get it. Get on with slapping our shit around. <laughs> so we have a, a a character Ryu, and he is deaf and mute. He has a sister who's about the same age, maybe a little bit older. Maybe I think I think it's his older sister. I agree. Yeah, I think it's his older sister. She kind of took, and of she has uh, a kidney problem where she's like terminally ill, and she needs a kidney replacement to to live. Right, and they're both coming from basically relatively poor backgrounds, and they're at a situation where Ryu has saved up enough money working at a factory to pay for the surgery, but he's not the blood right blood type for a donor situation. So he goes to a black market organ doning institution, <laughs> if you want to call it that, who says, sure, we'll do it for you. And they end up taking his money and stealing his kidney. And then what do you know, like three days later, the hospital says, you know what? Actually, we do have a kidney for you. Oh my God, that broke my heart. So then Ryu's anarchist girlfriend comes up with a plan to kidnap the daughter of Ryu's previous boss because he got fired he got fired like right as all this was happening yeah. so yeah, he got, he got fired and she's like why don't we kidnap this guy's daughter we'll just ask for enough ransom ransom <laughs> ransom to pay for the surgery no big deal yeah she'll have a good time it'll be like summer vacation she yeah. spends like a good 15 minutes explaining the difference between good kidnappings and bad kidnappings right. to justify what they're doing and to make it seem like it's okay right and it's a good thing so they eventually finally do this and they end up, like, the father's going to pay the sum. They're going to get the money. He actually goes and gets the money. Everything looks like it's great. It's, like, the happiest we've seen him in the whole movie. But the sister ends up finding out about the kidnapping scheme and kills herself because of it. Ugh. And then as he's God, then trying awful. to bury his sister where she said that she wanted to be buried and bring the little girl back to her father, she ends up drowning in the river or in the lake, river where the sister wanted to get buried. So now the girl's dead. So now, it's <laughs> just this like complicated story where the little girl's father, Park, now wants to get revenge on Ryu for killing his daughter and kidnapping her. And then Ryu wants to get vengeance on the black market kidney people, organ people, because they stole his money and his kidney and basically are the reason why he had to go through all this in the first place with the sister. So he blames them for the death of his sister. So basically, like, you have two different sets of revenge stories going on at the same time, and it just goes on from there. Yeah. Great synopsis. Sorry, it was a little long, but there was a lot going on. I th- well, I think it's important because I, I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie, and unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people will be able to see this because it's very difficult to find. So I think it's important to give a detailed synopsis. I think this whole thing was also a really good example of just, it almost reminded me of like a Greek tragedy, the way that everything played out. Yes. It just, it it felt like that. But this whole movie is just like the tragedy of good intentions gone wrong. It's got that going on. And then it's also got, which seems to be just a, at least in the directors that we've been watching uh, for South Korean movies. There always seems to be, not an underlying, but a very thick layer of political commentary. Yeah. In terms of socioeconomic injustice and classism and just everything involved with that, you know. And this movie was no exception. It was very heavy-handed in terms of of looking at the haves and have-nots of different people in 
you know, different classes and like the working class versus the business class. And, you know, even which was sad because we always think about it being so American. I should say, I, I tend to think of it as an American thing because you always hear about other countries and how great their medical system is. Yeah. But this was obviously South Korea's, it's actually a, a really close representation of, you know, like American like our healthcare our, situation. Yeah, and just like their whole their whole setup. Like yeah. it's very much based on like the American model and it's very capitalistic society. It's a very rich country. Yeah. So it's not that surprising, but it's just one of those things you don't really think about as often, or at least I don't. So it was kinda interesting seeing the idea of basically having to sell your fucking kidney or something just so that you can pay for your sister's surgery or whatever it may be. And they were talking about like not being able to afford this type of thing and like the just the lengths that people have to go through for what seems like relatively basic healthcare. Absolutely. I think another really interesting, I'll say moral gray area that this movie explored was a lot of times in these movies you'll get this really potent social commentary on social and economic disparities and a lot of times in these movies, there's always a very clear hero and a very clear villain. But in this movie, it really forces you to emphasize with the person who would normally be portrayed as the villain, as well as the person who would normally be portrayed as the hero. And I thought that was very fascinating. I feel like Park really got his his spotlight and his chance to plead his case, I guess I could say, as just a, a regular guy who started off as an electrical engineer and worked his way up. And now he feels like it's his success and his money that has landed him in the position that he's in now, which is a really shitty one. And I thought that was very interesting and rare in a movie. Yeah, that's a good. I One of my favorite scenes is there's a part where they found his daughter and the police are, you know, combing the lake for whatever evidence they can find. And there's all this activity going on and he's being interviewed by what looks like a police detective in the back of a van. And he's asking him these questions about like, obviously, like, do you know anyone that would hold anything against you and blah, 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 blah. And then he gets a phone call in the middle of it that turns out to be his wife, this being the detective. Yeah, I think his name is Cho. Okay. The detective? Yeah. Okay. So he's like, give me a second, let me take this. And he just steps like right outside the van so Park can still hear him. But as he's talking to his wife, they actually have what can be, you know, deduced as a conversation about having to pay for medical bills, Mm -hmm. essentially. And something along the lines of like a family member needs to pay for this and like what are they going to do about it and how hard it is and this kind of thing and he says something to his wife he's like well at least our daughter's not fucking dead yeah at you least know? she wasn't kidnapped and killed and right. we're lucky and that we're poor yeah i not loved rich. that was, i thought yeah. that was such an interesting dynamic scene it to was. like say that right next to him too like well at least we're fucking poor because nobody would do this shit to us and it's kind of it really mm-hmm. does flip that on its head because Ryu's girlfriend who's played by uh Bidana, I love her. She's, she's awesome. great. You know, she's been in all kinds of <laughs> awesome stuff. She even, like you said, she goes on this very long rant about the type of kidnapping they're doing and how how it's justified and how it's okay and how, like, this money means nothing to these people. And it's just a neat thing to take what seems like a ambiguous person of wealth and well-being which I think is something that we can all do sometimes. Unfortunately, we can all be like, "Oh, that's just some rich fuck. Who cares what they? Who cares if they lose that money or whatever it may be? Or like they can afford it, so it makes it okay." And it's just, again that moral ambiguity, and it's like, no, it's not okay. Yeah, and it's like, is it the individual or the system? Yeah, and this I think this movie asks that question. Right, but yeah, so you know, you're, you're the whole time you're kind of on. Ryu's side and the fact that yeah he can afford it and we even get a scene before that where they're stopped on the they're they're like following Park they being Ryu and his girlfriend Young Ming are kind of casing Park before they kidnap the daughter and they witness a scene where Park is in the car I think he's driving I don't know anyways but he's in the car with like a business friend and their two daughters and they a guy just runs out wildly in the middle of the street and just, like stops them. And he's ranting and raving and saying that he was, you know, a employee of Mr. Parks or of Parks. And 
he worked his whole life for them and it's just like he got fired or something like that. And like, how could you? Like, I just need money to pay for my family. Like, you didn't give me any severance. I gave my whole life to you. And he ends up taking a box cutter out and just like cutting himself all over his chest. And then we get a close-up shot of it. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah. But it gives you, it gives us that sense that maybe Mr. Park is not a good guy. Right. That's like, it just kind of plants that seed. So it makes you more comfortable with what they're doing, with what they're doing. But then as more of this develops, you, like you said, like it's not, as far as we can tell, he hasn't actively been being a bad person. And, you know, he even says something to the, Park says something to the detective where he's like, I've tried to live a good life. Yeah, he says, I actually wrote it down. He says, I always thought I'd lived an honest life. And then he goes into this whole spiel about how he started off as an electrical engineer. He worked his way up. And then there was this huge economic crash, probably not unlike the one that we had in 2008. And he was saying that as soon as that happened, his wife left him. And like all he had left right now is his daughter. But he goes into this whole, again, it's like he's stating his case. Like, I I like to think that I'm not a bad person. And at first, he really didn't think that there was anybody that he could have wronged or provoked. But then I think he remembers what happened that day in the street. And then he remembers the layoffs. And then he realizes, okay, yeah, there might be some people who aren't too happy with me right now. And that whole situation where they run into that guy in the street comes back in a really fucking dark way. Right. Yeah. They go to investigate him and they go to this, what looks like just complete impoverished, like shanty town. And they find the whole family, which is like the guy, his wife, and looks like three kids, young kids. And they're all just sprawled out, appear dead. In this like mildew, wet, infested shack where there's, you know, water coming through the ceiling and all this stuff. And it looks like they've a a murder-suicide situation where the father probably poisoned them because he felt he couldn't, you know, provide for them. Which is a whole other story of all the fucked upness in life. Yeah. But then they find that one of the little boys is only mostly dead. <laughs> Do you think that was the autopsy that we kept getting flashes of? Because I, I think that, that. Well, here's the thing, though, is like, because the boy doesn't die until. Actually, yeah, the boy doesn't die until the very end, and he says, like, no, you have the wrong person. So he doesn't, like, come back for the body. Oh, you're right. Well, what? Whose autopsy was it? It had to have been the daughter's. Why was he there? I think he was there because he was looking for whatever evidence and information he could. That's terrible. Yeah. That was rough. I also thought it was a really, I don't want to say nice touch because it was devastating, but when Ryu and Youngmi kidnapped Yusun, the little girl, they're kind of making it fun for her and just trying to keep her entertained and make it a nice experience for her until they can bring her back. And Ryu's trying to get a picture of her for the ransom note to give to Park. And she ends up crying for some reason. I think he like took a toy away from her or something. And then she starts crying and then he snaps the picture. So then all Park has left of his daughter is a picture of her crying. And he keeps pulling out that picture and looking at it. So he has it in his mind that she was probably brutally murdered and went through this horrible experience. And all he has left is a picture of his crying daughter. And it's not till close to the end where he finds pictures of her having fun with them. And then he even says to Ryu, I know that you're a good person, but you have to understand why I have to kill you. Yeah. It was very sad. Very sad. And everyone gets revenge. They do. And it affects everybody in this movie. Everybody is involved whether they want to be or not. Right. Everyone suffers for it. Yeah. So, you know, you have Ryu, his sister ends up killing herself because of this situation. Then his girlfriend... Young Mi, who has been helping and orchestrated the whole kidnapping. And then she also helped Ryu find the black market organ people again. That's Because they just straight up disappeared. And so she acts as like she just found this information and that's how they're able to case him out. So she helps him on both sides of that. Yeah. And Park eventually tracks down Young Mi as he's like searching for... Ryu, and tortures her and kills her 
in a super sad way. That was a really intense scene. Yeah. I know. That was that was dark. Yeah. I think he made this device, like this electrical device, because as you pointed out, I was wondering what it was, and he said, Well, he was an electrical he was an electrical engineer. It's this little electric box with like jumper cable clamps on it. And he ties her to a chair, licks her earlobes, and then attaches these clamps to her ears and just cranks the knob. And he puts a blanket over her head so we don't see exactly what's happening to her. We just hear her screaming. There are scenes in this movie that show like the very real things that happen to the human body when you kill it that are really upsetting. Yeah. I thought they did a very good job with that. Like with uh, young me, she ends up, even before she completely dies, because he kind of slowly tortures her or does it over a relatively long length of time, like hours. We see that her, you know, like her body just starts to give out and she just pisses blood and urine all over the place. And like she can't, you know, her body can't hold it in, which is just upsetting. We also get to see one of the black market organ dealers violently shit himself as he's dying. We get a close up on that. While while young me is getting tortured and killed by Park, Ryu is out there getting vengeance on the black market donors. And this is the area where of all the things that are going on, Alicia was most disturbed because one of the goons is raping a passed out human being that is, you know, they're going to be fucking over. In front of his mom. In front of his mom. (laughs) In front of his mother. And she's just sitting there. I drew the line there. That was too much for me. That was too much for me. There was the fact that the mom was there watching. The fact that it was already bad enough and shocking enough, but then when he called her mom, I almost flipped the fucking table. (laughs) Then again, it would not be Park Chan-wook. God damn. If there was not some kind of incestuous I love him so much. (laughs) I can't wait to watch Old Boy and just have it ruin my life. He's just good at disturbing shit. Yeah. Anyways, he... uh, (laughs) viscerally just beats all of them to death in a horrible, horrible fashion. And then comes home to find that his girlfriend has been killed. And that was super sad. Oh, and he was in the elevator with her and just yeah. like holding her hand that was with like the detective so on the other yeah. side. This movie was just heartbreaking all the way through. It was mm-hmm. very sad. And then the climax sad. of the whole thing is Park <clears throat> eventually kind of lures Raul, kind of figures where he's going to go next. After killing his girlfriend, which is basically his old house, abandoned apartment or whatever, and rigs it so that he'll get electrocuted when he touches the doorknob. Yeah. But not not to death, but just enough to cause him to pass out. And then he almost kills him. And then you see him like have this kind of like, no, it's not good enough. I need to make this more visceral. Yeah. And he drags him back to the lake where... His daughter died. And that's where you have this just like intense scene where he's, you know, got Rue eye to eye and they're in the water. And that's when he says the line, like, I know you're a good person. Like this is at this point, he has looked into every aspect of Rue's life and knows who he is as a human being and why he did the things that he did and understands everything about him that he could. And he's like, I know you're a good person but you need to know why I have to do this. And then does the Achilles heels. Oh my God. Yeah. So he, I didn't know what was happening. I mean, how could you know what was happening? Because we only see the surface of the water and Ryu is just struggling there for a moment, kind of floundering. And the water is not that deep. It's about chest deep for Ryu. And he even makes a comment on that earlier in the movie after Yusun drowns. He doesn't go in after her because he says, well, she's already dead at this point, but he says that water is so deep, it's so far over my head. Because there's this really cool thing that Park Chan-wook does with Ryu's thoughts. And when he uses sign language, we get a black screen and then his thoughts or dialogue, I guess you could say, pop up on the screen. So there are some moments in the movie where he's just thinking to himself and we get to see those thoughts pop up. But he says, oh, the reason why I thought it was so deep is because I haven't been here since I was a kid and it felt so deep to me then. But now it's not deep at all. 
And it was just kind of an interesting little moment. But then he ends up back there at the end of the movie and it's chest deep for him and he's standing up in it. And then Park disappears under the water and comes up on the other side of him. And we just see Ryu struggling. And then we get this extremely long close-up shot on Ryu's severed Achilles tendons and just the gaping wounds and the blood splashing and pouring out and just spraying Park in the face because Ryu is struggling and splashing, but we get such a long lingering shot on it. It's just unbearable. It's unbearable. Yeah, that was rough. So I have a question, actually. Sure. You know, um, well, I was going to finish. Like, Park gets out of the water and we see him doing all kinds of, like, moving a bunch of stuff around and bags and he's all bloody, you know, covered in blood and shit like that. But we really don't know what's going on. We don't see a lot of hands-on at this point with the... Like the corpse of Ryu or anything. Mm -hmm. But we see him like working hard. And then all of a sudden this car starts rolling up. And previously when he was torturing (laughs) young me, she says something like, Mr. You really need to stop. I'm part of a terrorist organization and they know what you look like and they know who you are. And if I die, they're going to kill you. And it it really does sound, the way that she's saying it, even though she's been tortured, so it's kind of hard to say. She's kind of saying it what seems to be almost like a child. I really thought it was bullshit. It sounds, you know, she's like 100%, you know, like no chance, like 100% they're going to find you and kill you. And like, I'm just doing this for you. And But at the same time, she's so weakened by the torture, it kind of makes sense that she doesn't really like have the, the vocabulary to... To make it more threatening, I guess, or yeah. more real. And then we also get a kind of a confirmation or a false false positive of the fact that it's bullshit. Because the detectives were pouring through her things when they find her corpse. And they find the all the leaflets she's been passing out of, as part of this group. And they say, like, oh, she's part of this terrorist group. And then they kind of joke, like, yeah, but there's only one member. Yeah. Her, you know. So yeah. then we kind of get that false confirmation that like okay so it was bullshit so skip forward turns out it wasn't bullshit she was part of a larger group and four men drive up find park stab the shit out of him the in shit a very out of long drawn out upsetting yeah. stabbing scene <laughs> and then just leave him to basically bleed out and die well they also stab a note to his yeah. chest that young me was typing on the computer earlier and it said something along the lines of your sentence is death or something like that i think that was just another full circle commentary on capital punishment and the futility of revenge totally i agree now this is one of the pet peeves i have with the movie is then they like (laughs) have an over a voiceover a voiceover of young young me saying these things of like 100 percent they're going to find you. They're going to kill you. That that we just saw 20 minutes yeah, ago. Like, it's like, we get it. Yeah, I got it. Thank I you. have a feeling. I get the impression that Park Chen-wook was probably pressured to do that. Maybe. Maybe because, it was like that Blade Runner thing where like... <laughs> like, they're not going to get gonna it. Gonna get they're it. not going to get it. They're not going to get it. And we're like, we yeah, got, it. got it. <laughs> that really bothered me. me that too. took me out of it for a second. Totally. But that was the, really the only thing that I have an issue with. It was just... It was a bummer that it was at the end of the movie because it was really jarring for me. I was like, mm. "What? why? It's been so solid the whole way through. Why are you doing this? We yeah. know. We understand. That was a big disconnect. We know who these people are. We saw the note. Like, we made the connection. We don't need the voiceover explaining exactly who these people are. We got it. So my what my question is, though, is at this scene, then all of a sudden we get Park's view of kind of that area and what he's been doing. And we see that he has power tools, like a circular saw, and what looks like bags of Ryu. Ryu. Yeah. What the fuck was he doing? Dismembering him so he could dispose of the body? Like... He dismembered him and put him in bags so he could dispose of the body. You think that's all there was to it? Like... Yeah. Because I wasn't sure... There was... I don't know. There was something... One thing that kind of confused me, and maybe it was just kind of like a... eh type of thing... (laughs) What does that mean? <laughs> like, just to get out. What of, does it like, mean? Like, just to get, like, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Where, so, like, when Ryu gets his vengeance, he removes their organs, their kidneys. Okay. And puts them in, like, a dry ice thing. Uh-huh. Oh, was it Ryu who 
Because there's the detective gets a call near the end of the movie that they found a match for his daughter. Do you think Ryu had anything to do with that or not? Well, that I didn't think about that. So that's what I was wondering. I was wondering if a Ryu's because plan was that? to use those kidneys to, to then donate to them help people to help people. Maybe he did. And then I was wondering if Park was doing the same thing and just like using all of Ryu's body to donate. I don't think he was because he put, he dismembered him, chopped him up and put him into plastic bags. I think he was just trying to get rid of the body. And we get a scene earlier in the movie where he's explaining to the detective. I think it was maybe, or was it his friend? Was it a friend or the detective? Which part? Where he was talking about how um, he was selling his house and the company. Oh, that was his friend, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he's telling his friend that he is selling his home and selling his company. And I got the impression that he was planning to kill Ryu. Because he felt like he had to. He's literally being haunted by his daughter. There's this really strange scene where it seems like her ghost appears. And she's soaking wet and she hugs him and like wraps her legs around him and says, Why didn't you give me swimming lessons a little bit earlier? But then the next day there's water on the floor where he saw her. And I think what we were supposed to get from that is that he's going to be haunted by her until he does this. And then I just figured he would go on to live a sad life as a person with no prospects and no money and just quietly live out the rest of his life. So I think he was just trying to cover his tracks the best he could. I mean, this guy isn't a seasoned killer. It makes sense that he wouldn't know what he was doing. I don't know that. I guess the whole thing just kind of bothered me. Like, I don't know why he went through like like the dismembering thing. Like, that's really visceral. And then like, is that why he was watching the autopsy to like know how to take a body apart? Like, I don't think so. I just, that, That kind of had disconnect. And I also, the scene that you're talking about where he envisions his daughter jumping on him and all that. I didn't like that scene. I didn't have any problem with the scene itself, but I didn't like the fact that, well, actually, like just prior to that, he was like looking at a picture of him and his daughter and then he looks at it again and the daughter is gone from the picture. And that's when he sees her. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. It's a picture of him holding her. Okay. That he has like on the credenza or whatever and he like nods off and then he wakes up again and he looks up and she's no longer in the picture frame and it's just him alone and that's where like the ghost her if you will shows up soaking wet and jumps on him and hugs him and everything and that was fine i had no problem with that what i didn't like is a that dialogue could have used some work like that was just a little heavy like a little on the nose with the swimming lessons thing? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I didn't that... think that was necessary. Like, she could have yeah. just said anything, really. But, like, the swimming lessons thing was just a little amateur hour, I guess, in terms of script writing. So yeah. So, that was bothersome. And I also didn't like the fact that there was water on the ground when his friend showed up. Like, that... There was nothing supernatural in that movie at all, at any point, before or after that scene. And it was just... It really just put a different... It was like, why? That was weird. I have to agree with you. I think that that scene relied very heavily on symbolism in a movie that was otherwise very grounded. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of jarring. Right. It just didn't, yeah. it didn't fit for me. I agree. Yeah. It didn't bother me very much, but it, I, did, I did notice it. Yeah. Especially with the water on the floor. I was wondering like, whoa, where is this going? What are they going to do with that? Or how is that going to come back? But it really it never does. Yeah. I think that it was just very heavy handed symbolism from a director who was kind of just starting off. Yeah. But overall, I think it was a fantastic movie. I also really love the cinematography of Park Chan-wook's movies. And I noticed that he seems to really enjoy like these wide angle shots of entire rooms. Mm-hmm. And he'll spend a lot of time on that single shot. Where it almost makes you feel like you're a fly on the wall. Yeah, there's a bunch situation. of those. I really enjoyed them. Like he has a really good way of placing a camera where it just gets the maximum amount of coverage and like seeing what's going on yeah. in there. Yeah, there was actually there was it was kind of a section in the movie where there wasn't much going on, but it was the the shot was in Rose like little apartment where his sister is watching Yusun, and again the sister's not in on this you know she just thinks that i think the story that ryu gave her is that it is the boss's daughter but he's like watching her but, or something you know like the he told her that the mom got in a car accident and they're at the hospital and he didn't want to like scare the daughter 
Right. You know? Yeah, so they're just watching her. So they're just yeah. watching her. So she's watching the girl, and then Raul's over, like, kind of on, on the other side of the room where there's a, a, a slight partition, and he's, like, trying to figure, like, almost, like, devising how they're going to come up with the ransom note, and he's thinking about taking this picture, and you know, you get, like, the two different sides right next to each other of, like, the innocence and the plotting. Yeah. It was just a neat scene. It was, all. Yeah. So I have a, now that we've kind of gone through the plot and some of the themes, I have a couple of questions for you just to get your, your take on some of the things that happened. So for one, I noticed that this movie very heavily utilized the color green. I noticed that too. Even Ryu's hair is green. Why green? Oh, maybe it's just the symbolism thing. I mean, the first thing that pops up in my mind, green is like the color of sickness. Yeah, I kind of thought sickness. It's also the color of money and yeah. envy. But yeah, the green was so heavily utilized in this movie. I'm curious to see, because we're going to watch Old Boy tonight, what kind of colors are used in that movie. And I remember with Lady Vengeance, it's very heavily like a red and black color palette. Mm-hmm. Like red, black, and white. So I'm interested to see what he does with color in the next two. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like spitballing here, but I'm thinking a lot of it had to do with medical problems and medical procedures. And so you think of like grain and sickness in that way. And then it also has to do with the money, like you said. And you could also take it into account that you just become literally kind of infected with this vengeance. Yeah. You know, it's like a sickness. Definitely. It, It stood out to me a lot. And I really liked that use of color. So there was another very strange scene toward the beginning of the movie where we get this really um, loud cacophony of moaning, and it sounds like neighbors are just going to town, banging it out. And we see um, these four boys who live next door to Ryu in this weird jerk-off train where they're literally like laying side by side on the bed with their hands on each other's backs. Well, they're on the wall. Yeah, against the wall, just wanking it. Yeah, like... But then we find out that Buttonut wanking it in unison to the sounds of this moaning. And then we get a view of what it actually is. And it's Ryu's sister screaming in pain because of her illness. Right. Why? Why was that in there? What does that mean? What does it mean, Greg? (laughs) Was that just a Park Chan-wook, fuck you, I'm going to make you uncomfortable moment? Or what was it? I think it was multi... Yeah, I mean... Because he likes to do that. He definitely does. (laughs) But why? It was really upsetting. I guess it could just be that fine line between pleasure and pain. I guess. And, you know, revenge is like that, too. It's that fine line between pleasure and pain. Yeah. I don't know. Just making shit up here. Well, even if it's not technically a horror movie, I think this was a great pick. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm super excited to check out the rest of the trilogy this weekend i really really like this movie i really love this director i want to watch everything that he's done (laughs) honestly (laughs) as soon as possible (laughs) so since this was your pick i'll let you go first for the ratings on a scale of zero to 12 beers what are you going to give sympathy for mr vengeance i had a good time it was fun i'm not going to say it was a masterpiece by any means i think it had i enjoyed it but i'm going to give it a nine okay you know, there yeah. there was definitely some disconnect. There was some what I thought was a little bit of kind of amateur writing. And I also heard that the script was written within like 20 hours of oh, like wow. nonstop okay. writing. That's impressive. Which, it is impressive, yeah. but it kind of explains. But it shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it shows. And, and I can understand why some people wouldn't enjoy it as much as some of his other movies. It does. I think it's probably slower. Compared to some of the other things I've seen. For sure, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a niner. I, I'm very close to that. I'm going to go just a little bit higher with the nine and a half. I really enjoyed it. I really I really do love that angle on the revenge story of just showing the true cost and what it does to a person. And just that, that moral gray area is very fascinating to me. Gotta I really love that gray it. area. I do love that gray area. So, I think... I think I have the perfect beer pairing for this movie. I think you nailed it. I think I nailed it. So my first Light thought <laughs> my first thought was I think that a revenge story has to go with an IPA because IPAs are bitter and revenge is bitter. So I think we should pair this movie with the Vengeful Spirit IPA from Stone. It's a good beer too. It is a good beer, surprisingly. I don't love IPAs, but that one is very tropical, it's very pineapple y. It's a nice a nice drink. Good call. 
Well, that was my pick. What are we watching this week? This week, I have really been enjoying the sci-fi horror for the last couple months. I've really been in the mood for it. It's been hitting the spot. And I've also really been enjoying talking about movies that we haven't seen before. So we're going to do what is considered by many to be a classic that we have not seen. It's a sci-fi. It's supposed to be very good. We are going to be watching the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Nice. I'm really excited. I've been dying to see it. Yeah, I have not seen that either. I've heard this is probably one of those things that people have said is great for a really long time. And we're finally going to watch it and be I like, wow, that was awesome. Yeah, and everyone's going to be like, no shit. <laughs> I've heard very good things about it. It's another one of those. Um, it kind. This was kind of right before that era of the really popular um, 80s remakes of 1950s sci-fi movies. Like The Thing and The Fly. But this was before those. This started it. It's the OG, This huh? is the OG. So I'm really excited to check it out. I've heard it's very good. Cool. <laughs> okay, well, you guys can follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcast. What you don't know is that we are now on Letterboxd because I caved in and made a profile and I've been having a great time. So if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, we are under the name Blood, Fear, Beer because there is a limit to how many characters you can have <laughs> in your username. So it's Blood, Fear, Beer. On Letterboxd. <laughs> and I've really been enjoying it. It's an awesome app. It's great. Do it. Awesome. If you have movie suggestions for us, questions, beer suggestions, or just want to say hello, you can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. And until next time, keep it spooky. Cheers. Join us again for another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Night night. Ha, 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 ha